Hello, and welcome to Revolution 22's teaching podcast. We are a church from the downtown area in Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today and hearing this week's sermon. We pray that God's word will be received and will bear fruit in your life. Thank you, Jonathan and team, for that. It's beautiful. Thanks for leading us and serving in this way. If you're new with us, I want to welcome you to Revolution 22. We're a community that's seeking to love God, love others, love each other. And uh, my name is Derek. I'm one of the teachers here. This is just a regular thing, what we do on Sunday mornings. We sing, we celebrate, we worship Jesus, we focus and center on Him, and then we also worship through his word. So we believe that this book, the Bible, is God's revealed word. He uh, inspired human authors to write these words that are timeless, they're universal, they're eternal, they're true in every, every facet. And this word is actually a story. It's not just a list of commands or a, a list of doctrines and, uh, or things like that. It's actually a story from beginning to end and um, has a hero to the story and is a beautiful, powerful uh, story that we're actually going to look in this morning. So that's another thing we do regularly is we, we listen to God's word. We learn from him about him, who he is, what he's about, what he's done, what he is doing, and how we ought to live um, because of that. So today we're going to talk about evangelism. And evangelism, if you haven't heard that word, if you're not familiar with it, it basically means to share, to talk about what you believe, to talk about what you believe is true about God and about Jesus, about Christianity, about the gospel, which we're going to get into here in a second. It's, it's sharing that with people who may not believe and then asking them to consider, asking them, would you consider inviting them to believe it? And I want to talk about evangelism today, not perhaps in the way that, that many of us have typically thought about evangelism or heard about it or seen it. You know, often I think, if you're like me growing up, I Whenever I heard about evangelism or sort of saw it done on TV or I go to events and things like that, it was, it was talked about maybe as door-to-door evangelism or street corner or something like that, which are, those are all viable ways. You can do evangelism that way, and people become believers. They become Christians through that way. But we're going to talk about it a little bit differently here, more of as an everyday life experience or practice that Christians can do and, and, and ought to do. So I want to focus on that this morning. The word evangelism is based off a word, a root word, evangel, which I believe is a Latin word that just means good news or gospel or good message. Um, that word, evangel, is actually based on an earlier, older Greek word, euangelion, which means good news or gospel. When you look in the, in the Bible, in the book of Acts, that's the part of the New Testament after the gospel stories of Jesus, and it talks. it's the story of the early church and the, the church that Jesus founded that he sent his apostles to help start and begin. Uh, You see a church that's active in sharing their faith. You see a church that's active in preaching the good news, talking about it. Even in a culture that was both religious but also was also persecuting Christians. Um, So they were in a culture that was against it. They were a culture that was antagonistic to the, the truth of Jesus and the gospel. So you see that in Acts, the church was very explosive, and God was doing amazing things through that church, through the early church. And then you fast forward 2,000 years here in the 21st century, and how are we doing with that, guys? You know? How are we doing with evangelism? How are we doing with 
sharing our faith. And I ask that question not to shame us or guilt trip us because I'm going to get into a few obstacles here that I think are important for us to understand of why it can be challenging to share our faith. There was a, um, a survey done by the Jesus Film in 2020. And they did a survey of, you know, a large group of Christians and how many of them are, what they feel about evangelism, what they think about sharing their faith and how they do it. And uh, they found that there's a fairly high percentage of Christians that believe it's important to share their Christian faith, both young and old, a high percentage of that. And then they found also that how many were actually sharing their faith as a regular practice, that percentage significantly drops, right? And I think that's just reality. I think often, for, for, you know, for many of us, it's natural that we often believe that something is important to do, but then we actually struggle to, to do it, right? Like, how many of us believe that exercise and healthy eating is important to do? Okay, how many of us are actually doing it on a regular basis? Okay, anybody? <laughs> anybody actually doing that? Like, I love fitness. I care about it. I enjoy doing it, and I try to make space to do it, and I still struggle to do it regularly, uh, because life, okay, because stuff, just life, just schedule, calendar, family, everything, like I struggle to actually do it consistently. So let's face it, unless you have the gift of evangelism, probably many of us, many of you are not waking up each morning wondering, who do I get to evangelize today? I can't wait, you know? Uh, but, in the, in, but at the same time, we're all called to do it as part of the Great Commission. Jesus said, go into all the world, make disciples. So when you sign up to be a Christian, you're signing up to go make disciples. Like, that's what you get to do. That's what, you're, that's what we're called to do. That's part of it. That's part of it. And sharing our faith is a big part of that. So why is this? Why does evangelism seem to be one of the hardest things to do as a Christian? I was talking with uh, someone after the first service, and they, they said, oh, man, you're talking about evangelism. I was like, ah, you know. And I said, yeah, we often have a love-hate relationship with evangelism as Christians, because we believe it's important, we believe it's, it's, it is something that we're called to do, and yet we struggle to do it. Well, there's a couple reasons why I believe in, in our culture, especially in North America, of why it's hard, why it's difficult to do that as a Christian. One of those reasons is that we live in what philosophers call a secular age. And what I mean by that is that in this age that we live, this modern age in the 21st century, God is seen as absent and obsolete from everyday life. He's irrelevant. He's ignored in public discourse. He's not a factor in most people's lives. You can't just go around town, strike up a conversation about Christianity, and assume that that person believes or has any connection with the God of the universe, or even wants to hear what you have to say. You can't assume that. 500 years ago, you could. In the pre-modern age, and now through a variety of cultural and social movements and all kinds of things that have happened, that's not the case anymore. Many reasons for that, but one of them is that through, through those movements, people came to believe that the universe, of the earth, and their daily life was what's called disenchanted, meaning there's no real supernatural power at work in my day-to-day experience. Like, that's, that's not a thing. Most people in North America, in Idaho, outside of Idaho, like God is not imposing himself. God does not impinge on their daily decisions, on their core life decisions, on their lifestyle or how they think about the future. They don't see a sovereign, powerful God as involved in that. But if you lived 
500 years ago, even maybe 200 years ago, you felt that there were these enchanting supernatural forces at work in the world all around you and that everyone around you assumed that. And yet now those realities, anything supernatural is seen as archaic, seen as folklore or myth. And you, the only time you see it is in Hollywood, right? With one exception, Halloween and possibly Christmas. <laughs> Those are the two, hol- the, the, the two last vestiges, the two holidays in American culture where there's anything that's sort of magical or the supernatural is thought about in some way. And even Halloween, I would say it's mostly make-believe. Nobody really believes those things. If you're not a Christian, you don't believe that supernatural, evil supernatural realities exist, and it becomes more of a one-night fetishizing of candy than anything else. Now, what I'm talking about here is mainly in general, mainly, it's mainly in general, it's, it's mainstream, it's public. I'm not exactly talking about your private life because many of you, many of us know people that are spiritual. Many of us know people that are religious. They may be religious, but they're not Christian, right? So, of course, there's many people that are like that. They have beliefs in God or a God or some kind of spiritual force in their personal life. But that leads me to my second point of why evangelism is hard to do in our culture, is that, is that religion or God is now private. It's a private affair. So you, someone may say, you, you believe in God, you still believe in God? Uh, that's great. Just do it on your own. Do it in your own private space. Don't go public with God. I mean, the quickest way to make a nice conversation with your coworkers at lunch is to bring up God. It, make it awkward and like tension that you can slice with a butter knife, just bring up religion. Because religion is now private, because everything is disenchanted. We don't, there's no, we don't really believe in any kind of supernatural power anymore collectively as a culture, as a nation. So religion becomes private. If it makes sense to you, that's great. Just don't bring it out in public and assuming that it makes sense to everyone else. So we have these, we have the, we have these obstacles. The reality is, in the, in the midst of this reality, how do we become Christians who are active in sharing our faith. How do we overcome this? We're going to look at three things today. We're going to understand what evangelism is. What does the Bible tell us about evangelism? What does this book, this story, tell us about what evangelism is? Secondly, we're going to look at one way that we can do evangelism. So how do we actually share what we believe? And then thirdly, we're going to talk about why we often don't do it and what are the obstacles. So understand what evangelism is look at one way to do it, and then uh, thirdly, look at why we don't do it, and move on from there. So I'm going to open up to Isaiah 52. got two passages I just briefly want to read from, Isaiah 52, verse 7. I don't have it here up on the screen. Um, We're going to look at one of the verses here specifically. If you have a Bible, open up with me to Isaiah 52, and then we'll also look at Psalm 96, Isaiah 52, starting in verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people he has redeemed Jerusalem. Now let's look at Psalm 96, verse 1. Psalm 96, written uh, here by the author, it says, 
Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Let's pray. Father, we recognize that uh, this is your word and that we have much to learn from you through your word. And we ask that you would do that work in our hearts this morning. We need you to do it. We can't do it on our own. We need you to do it. And so we ask for the help of your Holy Spirit uh, in this and that we would be so greatly encouraged and and convicted and comforted uh, as we learn. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, first... What is evangelism? Okay, evangelism, we need to start out with actually defining what the gospel is. So when the Bible talks about the gospel, when we talk about the gospel, what are we talking about here? The gospel is good news, but it's also a story because we believe that the gospel comes out of this this story, this book, which is a story. This book has a story arc to it. It has a narrative arc. It has a plot line that begins with an introduction and a problem and a conflict that needs to be solved, and that's sin. It's human sin. And then that, that story moves to a climactic moment with a hero that's looked ahead to, it's anticipated, who comes and brings salvation, brings redemption. And then it just, and then it, it moves along to a, a, a resolution or a restoration. That's eternity in perfect relationship with that hero and, and the Father and our Heavenly Father. And that hero, what's so unique and so amazing about this story in the gospel is that most stories, when there's a hero, you watch a Disney movie or Pixar, any of those movies, they always have a hero. They have the hero's journey and the whole story that goes along with that. And usually that hero, there's good people and there's bad people. And the hero fights the bad people and saves the good people. Well, in this story, there's no good people. There's none. There's no good humans. Like, we're all, we're, we're all, we're all bad. We're all sinful. We're all the villains. And the hero and co- comes to save the villains from themselves. The hero comes to draw the bad people, reconcile them, forgive them, so that they might be with him. They might be saved from themselves and from evil, from Satan, from uh, the serpent that appears in the first part of the story. See, that's what's so unique about this. And then the hero even, uh, he doesn't save them through might and strength and just beating up all the, bad, all the bad guys or beating up Satan somehow. He actually dies. He lays down his life. He himself is willing to be overcome so that sin might be overcome so that hell might be overcome, so that Satan might be overcome for our sake. That's the beauty of this story. There's nobody good, and the hero Jesus comes and saves us who are bad and makes us good because he's good. You see that? That's the gospel. And the the word gospel comes from a Latin word, good spell or god spell, which means good message. And if the gospel comes out of this story and is itself a story, then what we have is a good news story. We have a really good story. And sometimes what I like to think about with that Latin root gospel, which also comes from the Greek word euangelion, I mentioned that previously, that's a biblical word. Uh, but with that word, when, you, when I hear the words good spell, it's almost like 
when you hear a good story and someone says, hey, let me tell you a story and it's really good, it's like for a time you're put under a spell, right? Like you're drawn into that story. It is so good, whether it's a real-life story, whether it's a make-believe story. If it's a good story, it's like you're put under a spell. It's a good spell. It's a, it's a good moment because you, something is opened up to you. You're awakened to something maybe you never thought about before, you never heard before, something that inspires you or convicts you. That's what the gospel is. It's a good story. It's a good news story about a hero who overcomes evil and saves evildoers from themselves, bringing them into relationship with him. So, firstly, what is evangelism? Well, we have to understand what the gospel is. Second, evangelism is sharing this good news story of a victory. Now, God is the first evangelist. Right after the first original sin of humanity happens in the world in this story, then God comes and proclaims a gospel. He proclaims what's called like a first gospel, a first evangel. Uh, to Adam and Eve, to the first humans. And he, he foretells that Jesus, this Messiah, who's going to be an ultimate seed or offspring, way down the line from the woman, is going to come and overcome the serpent. He's going to overcome evil. So God is the first evangelist. But we first see the word evangelism, the Greek word, and then the Hebrew word, the original Hebrew, show up actually in a very unique and ironic way. In 1 Samuel 31, uh, you have the whole story of Saul, King Saul, and Israel, and how they are battling against the nations like the Philistines, and Israel's struggling with their own idolatry and all this, and, and God works through Saul in some ways, but ultimately Saul is not the guy that God designed to lead his people. It's David. So Saul is David's predecessor, but Saul is at war. He's outnumbered. He knows that uh, he's lost this battle against the Philistines, and he, uh, he decides to commit suicide. You know, rather than give himself up or say, hey, we'll give up Jerusalem or whatever, he just commits suicide. He dies. And he falls on his sword. And so the next day, and all of his, and by the way, when that, when the rest of his army hears that, they all flee, of course. He's like, our leader's gone. We're done. We need to get out of here. And a lot of them die too. And so they find, like the Philistines the next day, they find Saul dead. And they cut off his head. And they take his head as proof the king has died to all their towns and the Hebrew literally says, and they evangelize the good news of their victory. It's the first time the word, the word evangelism comes up in the Bible. Hey, I, don't, I don't recommend that if you're going to do evangelism, you create this head of Satan and like carry it around door to door and say, hey, Jesus, Jesus took care of Satan. Everything's good now. Don't do that. Um, that's not, this was then, you know, that was then, this is now. But Notice how evangelism here is like super violent. It's a victory that somebody has had over somebody else. That's my point. Okay? That we see that evangelism is victory. The Greek word euangelion is used there, and then the Hebrew word basar. Okay? That's the name of, that's, the, that's, that's how the word is pronounced. So sharing the good news, evangelism is sharing the good news of victory. Now, specifically when we do it as Christians, it's sharing the gospel of God's victory. So when you look at Isaiah 52, it's really cool how this kind of turns out here. I'm going to show you this. Um, Isaiah, as most of the prophets are written, is written in Hebrew poetry or biblical poetry, which, which works very differently than our, our um, American poetry poetry or modern poetry that we look at, that we use. So it says this, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, 
who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Now, Isaiah here uses that same word in 1 Samuel for evangelism. He uses it twice here, who brings the good news. Then he says it again, who brings good news of happiness. And what authors will often do in poetry, when you see any kind of uh, poetry in the Bible, especially in the prophets and the Psalms, they, they use similar thoughts. They rhyme or use parallel ideas and concepts to teach you something, to show you something about what they're saying as their main point. The beauty of this here is they're leading up to this crescendo of this last line, who says to Zion, your God reigns, because he says, who brings good news? And then who publishes peace? And then he goes on, who brings good news of happiness? Same thing. Who publishes salvation? Almost the same thing. And then here's, boom, here's the good news. God reigns. He has victory. He's going to have victory. Therefore, hope. Therefore, trust. See, sharing the gospel, sharing the gospel is proclaiming God's victory. In fact, the the context of Isaiah 52 is is, um, God looking ahead to his future victory and redeeming his people. Now, the ultimate and chief victory Okay, obviously that we are sharing about, that we are talking about, is through Jesus, the hero that I've already mentioned. That's the ultimate victory. That's the only victory that saves anybody, that saves any of us. And yet, I think we can look at other victories in our lives that God uses to change us, to maybe save us in a small way, to provide for us, to deliver us from a hard situation that we needed to overcome, but that we couldn't overcome on our own. So what I mean by that is little, little victories, smaller victories in comparison to the chief victory through Jesus uh, of overcoming a disease, overcoming cancer. That's a victory. That's something that you can't do on your own. Only God can do. Landing a job, getting a job that you thought was going to be impossible, that you didn't think you would get, but you got it. That's God doing that. That's a victory. Buying your first home, especially in this market, that's a victory. A mother going through labor and delivering a healthy baby, that's a victory. That's that's something only God can do. That's good news, right? What do we usually say? We're, 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 when when a, uh, a mother is in labor and we're waiting for the good news, is it a boy, is it a girl, is it healthy? Is mom healthy? That's a victory. Graduating from school is a victory. Seeking to lose weight and have a healthier lifestyle, it's a victory. Surviving a really difficult week, coming to a place of peace and calm in the midst of what feels like chaos, that's a victory. Overcoming a conflict with someone through reconciliation and forgiveness, that's a victory. That's a victory that only God can do. Maybe you have some little part in that, but it's mostly God in many of those situations. If you believe in the biblical story, you recognize that none of those things happen without God's help, without his hand in the situation, without his sovereign grace and plan at work, just like as we've been learning in Joseph's life. These victories in everyday life matter because they matter to the people in the Bible. Even in the New Testament, Jesus would do miracles 
and people would experience victory over an illness. They would experience victory over demon possession. Jesus did not just go around proclaiming the one chief victory of salvation. He went around and he brought about little victories as part of his kingdom of restoration. You see, part of the greatness of his kingdom that he brought was the reality that as part of God's victorious reign, that God reigns, that life would now have all kinds of victories by God's mighty hand at work. And if we don't see this, or we forget to see this, or are unwilling to see his hand, his grace, his power at work in these moments, in these situations in our lives, these problems, then we tend to truncate, we narrow, we belittle God's work, we relegate him, we minimize him to one or two days a week. But the rest of life is somehow devoid of God. The rest of life becomes secular for us instead of, no, this is God, this is supernatural. This is is happening. God's all around us, and he's doing this, and he's achieving these victories. And ultimately, I already know that because of my faith in Jesus, I, I have been given the ultimate victory. The reason why I say this is that we can become more um, uh, a, more regular, more adept at uh, sharing our faith when, we're, when we can see God at work in these little victories in our life and sharing about them and pointing to him. You see that? Evangelism then is speaking and talking and giving voice to the victories of God in everyday life and ultimately pointing to the ultimate salvation of victory of God in and through Jesus. So, how do we, what, what is evangelism? It's the gospel is the good news story. It's sharing that, speaking that as a victory of God. Secondly, how do we share the good news? How do we share the gospel? I know that it looks different for everyone, and I, I don't want to, it, I thought about some, some of the only examples and stories of how God has worked through me to share the gospel with people um, in my life in the past and all that. And I, it would have been fun to share those, but I don't want to, I want to be careful about that because I don't want to make it seem like, oh, well, the way that Derek does it, that's how, that's how it should be done. Or, boy, I could never do what Derek does, so therefore, I don't know if I can do this thing. I don't know if I can do evangelism. If you're curious about some of those, I'd love, we can talk about them outside of this. But because it's different, I think, with every situation and everybody's unique, their style, their personality, the way they've been gifted, I would say that it's good to, to start in one place. One place to begin in sharing the good news is, is with believers, that we as Christians need to hear the gospel almost as much as unbelievers, and I would argue just as much. In Ephesians 4, Paul's writing to a church, and he says, he says this, and I think it's one of the most important passages in the New Testament in terms of what it means to be the church. In Ephesians, he says, And he gave the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And if we stop right there, it would be easy to say, Oh, cool, he gave gave those other people gifts. He gave Bren that gift of evangelism. I don't have to do it. He He gave John Mitchell that gift of teaching or shepherding. I don't have to do it. He gave Jonathan the gift of worship and art. I don't have to do anything. I just come and sit, take leave, go home, do my thing. But he keeps going. He says, he gave the church these gifts to what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. So when you're a Christian, what it means to be part of a church is that, yes, we have leaders and we have teachers and we have elders. We have people that are gifted in these things, but it's not so that they just do it for us. 
it's to equip us. It's to train us and teach us to do likewise. To equip us for the work of ministry, for building up. This is in Ephesians 4. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. He goes on to say, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, by the chaos, and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint. When each part is working, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That, speaking that truth, Paul goes on to say later, he says, the truth is in Jesus. So the truth is the gospel. Okay? As believers, we need to hear and we need to be speaking the gospel to each other all the time. We need to be listening and speaking with the truths of the gospel in everyday life. So let me, let, me, let me talk about maybe what this tends to look like and what it can look like. If you're in a gospel community, which if you're not, I would encourage you to get in one. If you're in a gospel community or if you're in some kind of fellowship group or you have some kind of a group with other Christians that you meet with regularly, perhaps there's been a situation when someone shares about a hard uh, thing that they're going on, they're, they're going through, or they confess a sin, they admit what's going on, you know, they become humble and vulnerable and, and tr- trustworthy of you. And often it's really easy to do a couple of things in how we respond. We often give them a spiritual prescription. We say, well, you just need to do this. You just need to fill in the blank. Trust God more. Pray more. I don't know. Read, read the Bible more. Not bad. Not bad stuff. It's good to do that. But we start with that and we lead with that. Or maybe that's our only response of, we, you just need to do this. Or... We give them some prayer positivity. We say, well, okay, you know, thank you for sharing that. I'll be praying for you. And then maybe we remember to pray for them after the fact. Or we go empathic and we say, I can't imagine how that feels to go through that. It must be extremely difficult. Can you tell me a little more how you feel? So these things are not bad things in and of themselves. They're good. But if we lead with that kind of a response, and if this is basically all we say, That's not speaking the truth in love. You may have tried to encourage them and pointed them to God a little bit more, but you didn't speak the truth of Jesus in there. Because part of what's going on there is that in giving them a spiritual prescription, you may have encouraged them to seek God, but in a sense, you put put the responsibility of the work on them to get closer to God. You haven't spoken to them that God is already close to you through Jesus. With prayer positivity, you may have encouraged them through prayer and obeyed the Bible to pray for each other, which is good, but you put the responsibility of the work on you to do that. With empathy, you may have brought comfort or helped someone not to feel condemned, but again, the focus is on you and them. It's not on Jesus. Again, you can do all these things and they're good, but if you don't lead with the gospel... If you don't lead with the truth of Jesus and lift that up and make that the most important thing that they ought to hear, that you can respond to them in that situation, my friends, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how that's actually going to help them. I don't know how that's actually going to help them to change. And you can say, you could, you could start with the gospel and then say, you know what? And then in that, you can trust God, or in that, I'm going to pray for you, or in that, let's talk about that more. But the point here is to lead with Jesus. 
couple examples of maybe what this looks like that I've I've learned and I've tried to do over time as I've been involved in gospel communities and other groups like that. Um, I try to do it in my own life with my family. And uh, th- so you know, for one example, we had, um, there was a married couple in our gospel community talking about some marriage conflicts they were having. Anyone else have challenges in their marriage? Okay, I just want to make sure we're not just like singling out somebody. Like we all have difficulties in marriage. So so hopefully you're talking about that. If you're in a gospel community, you're opening up about those things. So we, there was a couple having some marriage conflicts, and um, they were uh, exp- expressing some of the shame and the guilt and sadness that they felt as they looked at other people's marriages. Anybody ever compare yourself to other people? Okay, so they were looking at other people's marriages, even, non, even people they knew weren't Christians. They, oh, man, they're so happy. They look so great, and, like, here we are struggling and all this. And instead of trying to encourage them to just, well, you know what, you just need to trust God or merely say that I'll pray for you, I sought to spoke the gospel to them. And here's what I said, something like, I said, your salvation and who you are as a Christian is not based on how good of a marriage you have. I mean, that right there, that right there is, is good news. <laughs> your salvation is not based on how good of a marriage you have. It's based on how good of a marriage Jesus has with you. It's based on how good of a covenant relationship Jesus has with you through him dying on the cross and resurrecting. It's based on his faithful, forgiving, never giving up love for you. Therefore, you can be honest about your struggles. You can pursue repentance and come to him knowing he is so full of love and grace for you. You can do that for any situation. You're struggling with this sin guess what? Your salvation is not based on how good of a person you are. It's based on how good Jesus is for you. There was another person in our gospel community who was expressing some dissatisfaction with their job and a very difficult situation at work, challenges with their boss. And it would have been easy for me to say, well, you just need to put your head down, just work harder. You know, sometimes you just got to do that. It's got to grind. Or maybe you just need to find another job. All I, all I would be doing there is telling, here's something that you should do to fix your situation. Putting the onus of the responsibility on you to do it. Okay. Instead, what I want to do is speak the gospel. And so I, I remember saying something that, like, your identity, your self-worth is not built on your job. Your identity as a Christian is not built on your career. It's built on who Jesus is and what he's done for you at the cross and resurrection. Amen. He loves you and is with you every day. Therefore, you can do your job to the best of your ability, pursue peace, and cast all, cast all your anxiety on him. You see the difference there? Shifting responsibility from someone to do it, try to fix their own situation, or from me somehow telling them how to do it, to Jesus, who has already fixed their eternal problem forever and is at work and will be at work to help them in that situation. My friends, the more that you do this, the more that you'll find it more natural to speak the gospel, to share the good news of Jesus to each other in everyday life. I think that's part of why the psalm says in 96, 
Tell of his glory day to day. Tell of his salvation day to day. And the beauty, too, is that if there are people around you in your gospel community or in your life, and they see that, or maybe they hear you say that, they'll begin to see that like the gospel actually makes sense. The gospel actually works. That it's powerful to save. It's powerful to change. It's not just a religion. It's not just your own little religious thing that you're doing among a variety of options of religions and spiritualities out there to choose from. It's like, no, that actually does something. It's not, it's not just something that you just go do and think about for a couple hours on a Sunday morning. It actually makes sense. It's actually real. It's tangible. It does something. It's powerful to save in everyday life. It's the purpose of the gospel is not just giving you that, you know, get out of hell free card forever that you just get to look forward to until you die. No, it's, it's here right now. It saves. It's miraculous. It can change you. So what do we, what's one way that we can begin speaking the gospel and it's to each other as Christians? Now, why do we often not evangelize? It's going to end with this here. Let's see here. Why do we often not evangelize? Well, we naturally talk about what we worship and we tend to worship things other than Jesus. Let's go back to Psalm 96 here briefly. It says, sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. So we naturally talk about what we worship. Notice the connection here between singing and talking. Notice the connection here between worship and declaring something. Uh, worship in the Bible, let's remember, is holistic. It's not just singing. It's not just praise music. Uh, it's your whole life. It's your, your lifestyle. It's how you live life in accordance with God and for his glory. But singing is an expression of that often here in, in the Psalms. So notice the connection here. So we see that you know, what we worship also leads to what we talk about. Um, it's very clear there. I, um, I work in marketing. And one of the basic principles of marketing is that people talk about brands that they like and identify with that somehow give them good news, that make them feel good about themselves. And there was a marketing expert that I've been reading lately. He says this. He says, what most people don't realize is that they naturally talk about products, brands, and organizations all the time. Every day, the average American engages in more than 16 word-of-mouth episodes, separate conversations where they say something positive or negative about an organization, brand, product, or service. I see this in my own life. I hear my teenagers doing it all the time. We suggest restaurants to coworkers. We tell family members about a great sale. We recommend a responsible babysitter to someone. American consumers mention specific brands more than 3 billion times a day. This kind of social talk is almost like breathing. It's so basic and frequent that we don't even realize we're doing it. Welcome to America. We have brands. <laughs> that we talk about all the time, every day. Companies rely heavily on word-of-mouth marketing. In fact, it's the most powerful form of marketing out there, even apart from any digital marketing you can do on social media, any of that. Word-of-mouth is the most powerful. And it's scary, actually, how much free marketing we do for companies and brands. It's also scary how much we wear marketing, free marketing, 
for companies and brands. It's not just talk. We wear it. For example, Jonathan Siga. This guy's style is clutch. Okay? Every time I see him, he's on brand. Thanks, Jonathan. <laughs> he already heard that the first service. He knew it was coming. Um, <clears throat> now, obviously, not everything we talk about are things that we worship. There are harmless, good things to talk about that, we've, that we would say we're not worshiping. Okay? Maybe some of us are worshiping a brand. I would call you to repentance on that. But there is harmless, good things. But I'm amazed at how often we talk about something other than Jesus or the gospel, even when we're in an environment where it's strongly encouraged even where it's believed upon by most, even where the whole reason why we are here is because of Jesus. And yet, I find, and we find, that we're not talking about Jesus. We're not talking about what we say that we worship or what we're singing about or what we, what we say that we believe in. So here's, here's kind of an often scenario, and, I, and again, I'm, I find myself doing this so much and I have to try to catch myself, but... You've got, like, you know, we, we listen to the sermon, and then we, we celebrate communion, and then we sing some songs, and then we're dismissed, and you, you see someone you know, and you want to go talk with them, or they come up to you, and it's like, how's it going? And then it's like right away, hey, did you see that football game yesterday? How's your new car? Running good? How was that camping trip last weekend? How was fill-in-the-blank whatever other than Jesus? Other than the, the, the hero other than the, the one man who's at the center of this whole thing, who's done everything possible for us, the good news that we can talk about all of the time that we say that we're worshiping and yet we don't talk about him. Now, maybe some of us, we, we start with the small talk and in the few minutes that we have after the service and then it, maybe it eventually it gets to Jesus, which is great, but, but lead with Jesus, right? I mean, lead with the truth of the gospel, one of the ways that I, I try to do that, and this is one way that we can try practicing, my friends, to be more intentional, is we could ask, instead of some of these other questions, we could say, hey, just curious, what do you think of the sermon? What stuck with you? What do, you? do you disagree with anything in the sermon? Let's talk about it. Right? That, hopefully that that's, a, that's a good starting point to lead to speaking the gospel, to speaking Jesus. I try to do this um, whenever I can, whenever I remember to do it with my family on the way home, um, sometimes over lunch, if we go out to eat or having lunch at home, I, I, I want to try to initiate some kind of conversation that leads us to Jesus, that we're talking about Jesus. Another question is, hey, what have you been learning about God lately? What has God been teaching you? Or get real and just say, how are you doing? You know, No, no, really. I want to know, like, how are you really doing? Let's talk. Man, my, my friends, it's so powerful. Like, we, I know that we don't only talk about things that we worship. There's lots of things to talk about in everyday life that we like, that are important to us. And we can like something without worshiping. And yet the Bible says that the worship of idols still happens. And we see that here in Psalm 96. So, my, so the question is, is then, how do you know if you're worship, worshiping something other than God? How do you know if you're worshiping an idol in how it comes out in your speech and your talk? couple ways here. You will talk about things that you like or don't like. We often do that. It's natural. But you'll talk more about things that you worship. You will naturally talk about things that you like or don't like, but you'll talk more about things that you worship. Look at the quantity of your talk. 
about something. And then look at the quality. You'll talk more about things that you have a passion for, that you have a desire for. And that's a really hard question. Do you have a passion for Jesus? Do I have a desire for Jesus in such a way that I talk about him, that I talk about God, that I talk about the gospel and what he's doing in me? You will talk more about things with a certain intensity, with a certain emotion that is unlike other everyday topics. And my friends, I, I'll, I'll tell you, every fall season, I love fall. And one of the reasons I love fall because of football. And I find and I've found how emotionally wrapped up I get into the game of football and certain teams. And if you're like me and if you have that sport, you have that team or whatever, I, I, would, I would encourage you to question that. Look at your emotions. How intense do I get into this? How is that, what is my passion for this leading me to do and talk about? How does the victory... <laughs> of my team cause my emotions to rise or fall, how a team does, right? I just, sometimes when I think about it, I think if there's any addiction that our country has, it's sports and it's football. I'm just going to say it. I think it's an addiction for a lot of people. It's nonstop. And that's for me. It's for me personally. You'll talk more about the things that you worship, and you'll talk about them with a certain intensity and passion and emotion. Jesus said, out of the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks. So whatever's in your heart, whatever's filling up your heart, you're going to talk about. It just comes out naturally. My friends, I want to call us away from that one. Call us to Jesus. If you have that idol, if if you find yourself worshiping something other than Jesus and it comes out in your daily speech and it comes out naturally, I want to call you to repent of that. I want to call you to turn from that and turn to Jesus. The good news is that even in our sin and idolatry, Jesus forgives. 2 Corinthians 5. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, who committed no sin, no idolatry, no idol worship, always spoke the truth, always talked about what was good, always pointed people to, to himself or to God. He became that. Paul says that. It's, theologians are still trying to debate. What did, he, what did he mean by that? He became that because he wasn't sinful. He never committed sin. He took on our sin, and yet Paul can go so far as to say he became sin on the cross. Our sin. He became like us so that we could become like him in righteousness, even though we're not in our sin. That's the good news. Jesus took this on himself so that we might become the righteousness of God. It's the good news story. I want to encourage us and I call us to that this morning. In our, in our, in our desire, in our work of sharing the gospel and the good news, let's do that for each other. It begins here. If we're not doing that as a church, I don't think we're going to be doing it outside of the church. Let's pray. I'd like to have the worship team come up. We're going to sing, and then we're going to celebrate communion, celebrate more of the gospel, and then sing some more. Father, thank you that we, thank you that you've called us a part of this. You've called us into your, your work. 
of sharing our faith, of sharing the good news. Thank you that we need to hear that good news just as much as everybody else because we often forget it. We often go to other things to save us or fix us other than the gospel. I ask that uh, you would continue to do that work in our hearts this morning. I ask that you would give us boldness and courage to speak that to each other, to listen for that in each other, um, so that we might also be bold and courageous to speak it in this culture that we live in, in appropriate ways, in ways that people feel are genuine and authentic and real. So I ask for that. We need you to do that. We need the work of your Holy Spirit to do that in us. We continue to sing and celebrate. Thank you for the gospel that even when we don't do it, even when we are faithless, you are still faithful. And we praise you for that, Lord. And we celebrate you in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit revolution22.org. We encourage you to not neglect meeting together as believers. And may you continue to love God and love others.